goodness. Hi there. Are we on? We're on? All right, I just want to tell you that uh, I'll be back in 10 minutes. No? No, all right, we'll start. Let me start. Hi, welcome to Socrates in the City. My name is Eric Metaxas. I'll be your server for the evening. Just make your way to the salad bar and I'll be back to get your drink orders. Thank you very much. Good night. Um, all right, let me ask you, because this is very important to me. I see so many faces here, so many friends, and a number of former friends. Uh, yes, seven, eight, eight former friends. Get out. Um, it's a pleasure uh, to welcome you here. I understand that the president is in town. Some of you had trouble getting here, and we're getting some phone calls from people who are having trouble getting here. Uh, I told you to vote for Dennis Kucinich, did I not? I don't know what you're thinking. Um, in any case, let me ask you, how many of you are here have never been to a Socrates event before, ever? Wow, that's a lot of people. All right, now I'm gonna ask another question. How many of you, so you're here for the first time, right? Did we get that right? Okay, how many, now be honest, how many of you are here for the last time? Would you raise your hand? Be, be honest. Um, well, no, it's great to see uh, so many of you here. Now, I have to tell you, um, if you've never been to a Socrates event before, you hardly know what this is all about. And I think I have to come clean, cut to the chase, and if this makes you uncomfortable, I apologize. But, um, I don't cut to the chase, we're a UFO cult, okay? That's just who we are, and I figured I better say that up front, because uh, tonight, uh, after Dick Cavett comes out here, we're going to put on our silver unitards. And, uh, and by the way, you've all got silver unitards underneath your chairs, and they're, they're yours uh, to keep. Uh, and I, you can put them on any time during the evening, but um, once you've got them all on, as soon as the unitards are all on, uh, the mothership is going to come from behind the sun. Uh, she's been hiding behind the sun. She was going to be right over Zabar's, but they closed Zabar's, and I apologize. Uh, but she's going to be coming from behind the sun uh, to get us all tonight. Now, the doors are locked, and, uh, and we're just going to go. We're just going to leave. So it's a UFO cult. If you didn't realize that, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it now. Uh, we're going to... Uh, actually, it's called Planet Zabar, I think. That's where we're all going to go. Um, that's who we are. Again, if that makes you uncomfortable, I apologize. Uh, all right, I understand that the aliens who are going to take us there, they have our best interests in mind, don't feel bad. In fact, they've written a book uh, in their own language. We're trying to translate it. We've only got the title so far, but the title is To Serve Man. So it's all very, very philanthropic, uh, very philanthropic, and um, I think they just want to help us. So the title is To Serve Man. I'm not sure what the book itself says, but the title is To Serve Man. Um, hang on a second. Yeah? No? What, what do you mean it's a cookbook? No? Yeah, Justin, you need to, you need to double check. You, you have double checked? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, there's an audience here. I can't, I can't tell them. All right, we'll just let it ride. Thank you. So anyway, um, so To Serve Man, it's a wonderful book. And anyway, that's where we're going to go at the end of the evening. All right, so... Now you know who we are, Socrates in the City. Now what we tell people publicly is that we're about asking the big questions. Socrates famously said the unexamined life is not worth living. And then he blew his brains out in an alley. Um, and that's not true. Uh, he, said, 
He said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And uh, we take it as sort of our motto. We want to sort of ask the big questions. That's why we ask, we call ourselves Socrates uh, in the city. Uh, and there are many big questions. If you go on our website, SocratesInCity.com, you can see previous speakers and the, the questions uh, that, uh, that we've asked. Uh, now, tonight, um, we're going to do something different. Normally, we have a speaker, uh, but... Tonight, we're going to be uh, hosting, obviously, the wonderful Dick Cavett. And I didn't want him just to come. Oh, then you've heard of him. Excellent. Wonderful. Uh, so I thought it would be appropriate, since we've got Dick Cavett, uh, that we would kind of have something like a Dick Cavett show. Uh, the only thing is he's not going to be the host. I'm going to be asking him questions. Um, so I guess I'm going to be playing the role of Dick Cavett in a way although he's also going to be playing the role of Dick Cavett. So it's confusing, but you'll figure it out. Um, it, the whole thing kind of reminds me of there's an SCTV sketch with Rick Moranis. Have you seen that? Where Dick Cavett interviews himself? You haven't seen that? It's on YouTube. Uh, check it out, but it's brilliant. Um, but let me tell you something. Um, I'm not going to do the standard introduction of Dick because I think you wouldn't be here if you didn't know who he was. At Socrates in the City, we tend to have more obscure figures. And in the future, I apologize, we will have more obscure figures in the future. But tonight, unfortunately, we got a celebrity. We're going to go with it. But, um, but uh, Cavett is somebody that I just adore. Uh, I just adore. So I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to gush when he's here, okay, when he comes out. I'm going to pretend that I'm, I'm really not that interested in him. You know, so I'm going to play that role. I'm going to be humble and try to be professional. But I just want to say privately to you and to the millions of people watching at home that I adore this guy. Absolutely adore him. Uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of his. I love him. Uh, he's very kind uh, t to me, but I've seen him be vicious to his assistants. Unbelievable. Oh, he's, he's nasty when he has to be. Don't cross him. But, um, but I just, um, I really am nuts about him. And so the beauty of this evening, and this is what we always do at Socrates in the City, we have time for Q&A. So initially, I'll be having a conversation with him. Uh, but when that's over, we're going to, you know, take our ties off, let our hair down, and we're going to open the floor to questions. Now, the way we have to do this logistically tonight uh, is you have to sing your questions from the balcony. And I don't know why. It's just the nature of the room. You need to sing them from the balcony. That's not true. But what we do need is for you to fill out cards. Uh, we're not going to be able to do it with the Q&A. So during the 45-minute uh, conversation that I'm having with him, you have to write your questions down on the... Uh, you've gotten cards. Did you get cards? All right. And if you don't mind, I'd like you to type them up. Is that okay? Is that asking too much? Come on. Because I want them to be legible. So please type them up. But uh, yeah, write them as leg legibly as you can and as succinctly as you can and hand them to somebody. There's going to be, uh, I think Carol Merrill is going to be coming out any minute to collect the cards, and, uh, and that way I will have them in front of me, okay? So, but you need to do that before we start the Q&A, because once we start the Q&A, um, no more Q&A. I don't understand that either, but that's what we're going to do. Um, all right, budget issues, budget issues. Um, we've got some serious budget issues. Just to, uh, to let you know, uh, our budget is so tight that Dick and I are going to be sharing a hairpiece. Uh, that's true. Thank you. You've been a great audience. Good night. Um, we do have some, some, uh, some budget issues, so we don't have the Dick Cavett uh, theme music, so maybe I can, I can sing it and he'll come out. And I better, better hook up my microphone. Hang on. Or, or you could sing it. Let's see. Are we on? Are we on? Ready? 
That's not going to work. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dick Cavett. Oh, there he is. There he is. I thought so. <laughs> He's going to... I told you. He's going to... Gonna... Welcome. Welcome. I'd like you to have this. I'd like you to have your own microphone. One day at Actors' Equity, a very famous screen actress, character lady, had a mic put in front of her at the long table. It was Eileen McMahon. Anyone old enough to remember The Good Earth? And she said, I am a trained theatrical woman. I do not need this infernal device. Somebody had to put it back. Um, anyway, I'll put this on. Won't you? Who'd have thought the old you... man to have so much blood what? in him? Do you Just, believe this? Can you it. sue this place? Incredible. Pulling the door open in my jack and apes way there. Really? Yeah. You'll, you'll do anything for a gag, including bleed. That's amazing. Well, uh, I, you know I'd do anything for you, Eric. Thank you. Including bleed. Um, well, bleed, bleed some more. Um, By the way, gosh. I should tell you, there's a reverb backstage, and I could hear the laughter and not one word that you said, and I wonder if you'd run through the introduction again. Oh, of course. Oh, it, there's a, oh, a Band-Aid. Oh, thank you. Unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible. Now, let's see. I You're think at this stage, we're more on. at the tourniquet level right now, yeah. so if you can... Somebody come up with a tourniquet. You're, he's really bleeding. Is my complexion turning pale? Unbelie- I'm going to turn pale. I'm going to faint. This is incredible. We've never had a speaker bleed before. I want you know, if it's your first there, time at Socrates oh, in the you. city, it's very rare. Now, your microphone is going to... I don't know gonna, how these modern things work. You're gonna, is that called a Kleenex? Oh, thank you. I think they call this shtick. Jeez. Unbelievable. Really now, now, you pulled your microphone oh, off. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Look. Thank God. This is why we're having this dress rehearsal. Unbelievable. You don't want this to happen when it's live, my friends. When you've been yes. in this business as long yes, as I have. Yes, as, as I have. That's right. You'll know uh, how to that's, You always want this to happen in the dress. That's my yeah. motto. So thank God. Uh, unbelievable. Do you know how to use that Band-Aid? Or do you have staff that does that for you, Mr. Cavett? I have people who do all sorts of things for Unbelievable. me. Unbelievable. Well, this is, a, this is a family show. We don't want to get into that. So, uh, is it I, time for the can, band can I, can, I, can I put that on you? It, it doesn't look like... I don't think you're able to put these on yourself, are you? No. Not if the, if the wound is on your hand. Thank get you. a good shot of this, because it's not going to happen again. Here. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Watch look YouTube tomorrow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Do- In my country, this means... Wow. In my country, this means we are married. <clears throat> Doth oh. a wasp not bleed? Funny stuff. Oh, thank you. Eight people have read Shakespeare. The rest of you, get the hell out. I say uh, later. I did um, a shocking thing. I quoted the Scottish tragedy a moment ago. Uh, an actor friend told me recently that an actor got furious at him 
for coming into the dressing room and quoting what he must, we must only call the Scottish tragedy in the presence of superstitious actors. And superstitious it's actors. based on the fact that all kinds of theatrical horrors and murders and things have happened after someone quoted Macbeth in the dressing room. Want to hear some of them? <laughs> My upper lip is uh, impersonating Richard Nixon. That's never happened before. <laughs> That's incredible. That's, yeah. He had a... He, how are you doing? Well, uh, yeah. All right. But, uh, Appalling. But, all right, I think we, we probably better get started. Any more wounds that we can take care of before we begin? No, but there's kind of a mini Andy Warhol here. <laughs> it's just, what? Uh, do you think... Why don't we auction this off for Socrates? Yes. Incredible. I turn it over to you. Look at this. This is beautiful. Yeah. I got, I got, uh, it's funny, I have a handkerchief with pus from Sir John Polkinghorne, who spoke, <laughs> brilliant physicist, and he had a horrible wound. Uh, no blood, but pus. And uh, between the two wound. of them, a separating wound. Yeah. That's right. And uh, mm-hmm. it never occurred to me now that. Uh, he and his wife achieved a separation. They're a. <laughs> wow. All right, anyway, that's that, so good night. Um, I was saying before you came out and so rudely interrupted me <laughs> yeah. that, uh, that we, uh, we've had budget issues, you know, yeah. and so we wanted to have a band to play your theme song, and uh, we, we don't. But you vocalized it quite so well. So I, tr- I tried. Is yeah. that from Candide? Yes, you owe Leonard Bernstein a residual. <laughs> oh, really? Well, he's yeah. dead. Tough luck. True. So, um, anyway, uh, but... Uh, in all seriousness. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, the, we wanted to talk... I, okay, first of all, I want to say this. Uh, we met in 1984 at dear old Yale. Was it Do you remember that? Yes, it I was 84. I remember, but the year shocks me. Does it shock you? We must be getting on. When did you think it was? Um, I didn't know. It was... Uh, yeah, I was, it was uh, the year that I graduated. Yeah. And uh, you were the class day speaker. Mm-hmm. And Harvard had the King of Spain. <laughs> and we got Dick Cavett. And at the time, some bitchy friend of mine said, you know, Harvard got the King of Spain and we got Dick Cavett. Wow. And you know something? I'm so glad we got Dick Cavett and not the King of Spain. I mean, who cares? What's how the much, name of the King of Spain? How much Anybody remember? He, yeah, and it, would he be having a good time and sitting did he ever met? Did he ever meet Groucho? I doubt it. So, With his hand but, bleeding uh, all over that's the when, That's when we met and... Um, <laughs> King of Spain. I w- uh, anyway, but that's, that's when we met on old campus. Yeah, I was the yeah. class day speaker, and yes. then you were the speaker. Do you have any memory of this? I do, yes. And I remember being enchanted by the ankle of a woman sharing the stage with me. That wasn't a woman. That was uh, the provost, uh, James... <laughs> James, uh, I, know there I had remember been... him. I remember his ankles. I don't remember his name, but holy cow. Incredible. Yes, there, there was yes. some talk, yes. I remember. Uh, but it was the ankle. I, too, was And enchanted. for, what do you call this, the inst- uh, of Maria Tallchief. I don't... Well, a few people appreciate it. The great ballerina, the great... Oh, the great ballerina Maria Tallchief. Yeah. Right. No, no, yeah, n- yes. No, not the, not not the hamburger shop Maria Tallchief. Um, anyway, anyway. Uh, so, so we've gotten to know each other a little bit uh, yeah. over the years since then. Um, the reason I thought to do a Socrates event with you uh, 
was because I saw you on Piers Morgan talking. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor had died that day. And you saw, you're the one who saw me on Piers Morgan. And I'm Morgan. the one that saw you on Piers Morgan. And you had all of seven minutes, which you shared graciously with Morgan Fairchild and someone else who wasn't Morgan yeah. Fairchild. Do you remember that? There's always someone else with Morgan Fairchild. Right. <laughs> See, I don't even know what that means, and it's funny. That's a, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. It's the Groucho By the way, you people are late. Don't be embarrassed. Um, we were worried about you. Do you want to hear it, the beginning again? It was that... Uh, the... Uh, your seatmate will explain why I'm wearing this. But I, I, wanted, I, I guess I wanted to start this conversation, because this is going to be a conversation. But, and forgive me for having my back to you. Uh, How about apologizing? I can do. Are you going to apologize well, for you your friend as well? You didn't come here to see me. But um, am I going to what? Apologize for your friend to these people? Nah. <laughs> I got He's had it that in. in his back pocket for years, just waiting. All right. Um, but when you, when you spoke, on, I mean, I've heard you speak many, many times, but I was taken aback, I must say, at what you said about Liz Taylor. And I had um, the transcript. It was yeah. short and lapidary, as you can sometimes be. You'll do me the favor of reminding me playing my part, will you? Or do you want of, me to... Of the meaning of the word lapidary? No, no, I had lapidary in third grade. I thought that... Uh, I was at a taping of Firing Line with Bill Buckley. Yeah. And they don't tell you who the guests are in advance. Uh, right. The guest was Henry Kissinger. Yeah. And they were talking about the Nixon tapes. And right. Buckley said to Kissinger, he, wa- he wanted him to talk about it. And Kissinger said, uh, you, you shouldn't listen to the tapes. Nixon was thinking out loud. If you want to know what he really is thinking, you have to read the memos. Always read the memos. And Buckley says, then the memos were more <clears throat> lapidary. And you could see the look, because you're 10 feet away. In the t- you could see the look on, on Kissinger, Kissinger's billion-dollar mind spinning really? to figure out what does lapidary mean, because he had no idea. And I asked him about it, and he confirmed to me that he didn't know. Um, but anyway, where were you? Uh, so, well... <laughs> God, so, how I wish the king of Spain were here. I know, I know. Oh, um, but go ahead. Good. So... Uh, but what you, what you said on Piers Morgan was genuinely lapidary, and I, so I want to read it because okay. you, you had all of 30 seconds, but you, you uh, used the 30 seconds well. Okay, um, okay you wrote, uh, this is you speaking on Piers Morgan about Elizabeth Taylor's death. You say, this is not a plug, but I looked at a DVD set of my old shows, um, and there were Hepburn and Betty Davis and Robert Mitchum and Fred Astaire and Groucho Marx and Orson Welles and Marlon Brando, and I thought when Taylor died, when Liz Taylor died, this may be the last of the redwoods, the last. The smaller trees are left. And then mm. you said, we have great actors now, of course, because you didn't want to insult anyone. No. And then you said, may I say something that may alter the tone slightly? You would agree, I'm sure, that millions of people think I would have loved to have had their lives, meaning Liz Taylor and... Richard Burton. Wow, I would trade my dreary life for either one of theirs. Uh, But you said, I would caution people from frustrating themselves that way to think of the fact that as great and gifted as they were and all the stuff they had, they were also two drunks, two heavy smokers, reckless with their health, reckless with their careers, Burton dead in his 50s, and if you really envy them, you've got to be nuts. (laughs) Now, it plays for a laugh here. 
But I yeah. have to say, when I heard Dick Cavett say that, I was genuinely taken aback because I thought, wow, this is someone who has spent some time around celebrities, just a few, and um, who has himself been a celebrity. And for you to say that about Liz Taylor, uh, it was very moving, and I thought it was very bold of you on this show, which is meant to be merely uh, encomia, I guess. Yeah, it got a lot uh, of hate mail. Well, there you go. You got a lot of hate mail. Mm -hmm. But I thought, how interesting that you have that perspective. One does not hear yeah. that perspective. You said it very graciously. Mm -hmm. But that's when I thought to myself, I would love to hear more about your thoughts uh, on that subject. That's what gave me the idea yeah. to, to drag you in here tonight. Well, it, it's relevant because I wanted to be famous, which is not a very good thing to want for itself. Um, it all began... <clears throat> as far as I can tell, when, <clears throat> when Bob Hope came to Lincoln, Nebraska, what and he did a stage show, and I was in junior high, and my friend and I went, and we knew it would be a film of some sort. The ad said Bob Hope, but we'd been gypped before when things like that. And a whole hour of variety and magicians and singing, by, and then the curtain went down. We thought, not again. And we realized, unsophisticatedly, this is intermission. The curtain went back up. And a voice said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show, Bob Hope. I gave myself goose pimples again just now, remembering it. And my friend Lyle said, Jesus, there he is. And Bob Hope who has a certain walk, and it's a great walk, and it's one you can do backstage to give yourself confidence. I may approximate it. Very good. Wow. Wow. Hey, how about those short skirts? Aren't they some? Well, um, and Eric can do other people. I didn't uh, know. And I went around back, we just... They were worshiping him and watching him for an hour. And back, I ran to the stage door. And Bob Hope came down the steps. And I said, fine show, Bob. And he said, thanks, son. And decades later, I w introduced him after, during the commercial, looking in the wings to be sure Bob Hope was on my show. And he came out and I told him that story. He said, was that you? <laughs> but when I watched him leave in a Cadillac driven by the wealthy Lincolnite <coughs> with Marilyn Maxwell um, I thought he leaves here tomorrow I had just seen Monsieur Beaucaire in one of the road pictures he'll go back and make a movie I guess and I have to go back to school tomorrow I want people to say there goes Dick Cabot and the thought kind of chilled me. And I thought, there's no way it's going to happen, I knew. I was a magician, a kid magician, and I had a little fame, and I loved every bit of it when somebody recognized me on the street. But that, that was a formative moment. And fame is, um, fame is a Midas touch in some ways. I'm sure I'm not the first to say that. But uh, what's interesting about it, What's the Emily Dickinson? Oh, I wish I'd looked it up. 
Fame. Say again. Hope is a thing with feathers. You know fame, what about fame. Fame is a fame and hope are. Bob, and no. she didn't mean Bob Hope. Bob, Bob hope, hope had no feathers. He wasn't. No. Where do you get these people? He was. Bob Hope wasn't born then. No. Uh, all right, but that's close. Any anybody else? That's uh, fame is a fickle dish. On a shifting plate. She said I that? I didn't just make that up. Emily you don't think Dickinson I, you don't said think I that? Could, yeah, Emily, you sure you didn't make it I up? I said that. And then she went into a chorus of, of when people. you're smiling. Um, <laughs> you see, nobody here would know if you made it up. Well, how, Most of these people haven't heard of Shakespeare, Dick. I, I apologize, but uh, th- this is the crowd we could get. You um, told me this was a high-class crowd. Was. Uh, <laughs> the... Why do you put up with him? I, they don't. They're not going to be back here. Um, so, <laughs> but when you say that, you have that feeling you wanted to be famous. I yeah. think most people have that feeling, but most people don't become famous. No, and most, a very small number, statistically. And of course, the thing about the Burtons is true. Uh, there's very little envy about their lives. He was drunk for most of his. Um, a brilliant actor. I got him when he was sober for a period and did four brilliant shows with him, four half hours on PBS, which you can go home and see by typing Burton Cavett. Uh, and they, they're with my blogs that I wrote about Burton, four of them. Uh, but, but she was a wretchedly uh, unhappy woman so much of the time. Enormously generous, great to friends, brave about AIDS when uh, nobody was. And uh, she um, had a lot to be praised about. But she had more ailments than ten lepers, and she was just uh, suffered a hell of a lot. But there's no reason to envy them that I can think of. Some inflection you did a minute ago was somehow Jack Benny-ish, and it reminded me, we, he and I were sitting like this, and it suddenly hit me to say, I'm sitting with this god, this man who's been famous for all his life practically. I said, do you like being famous? And he hadn't been ever asked that, I could tell. And he said, you know, kid... <laughs> I like being famous. I, I go to the steam room, they give me the best towel. <laughs> I go to a restaurant, I get the best table. They're out of tickets, I get tickets. And he was saying it in this nice way. It would have been repellent in some people. And then he said the thing I'll never forget. He said, and... People are generally glad to see me. <laughs> now, I'm sticking with fame, your theme. I get in an elevator with Jack Benny after the Tonight Show. We're going to have to bleep this out. Do what? Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. And people, enough people here who will catch the references. Tourists got in. And he was a little tired. And he's the nicest man in the business. Everybody loved him. And he had to endure 
while we're still on the seventh floor, are you really tight? Um, on the next floor down, do you really play the violin? Uh, do you not pay Rochester, somebody else said? And, you know, do you still drive the Maxwell? Some here know what these references all are. For decades, he'd been getting this. And they all ran off when we got to the main floor. And I said, Mr. Benny, does that get old? And he said, again, putting his arm on my shoulder, you know, kid, sometimes you, you just want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> I think, <laughs> see, I intuited that there would be something to bleep out. Um, <laughs> you yes, got a nose for noise. These are family yeah. programs. We send these to missionaries. Um, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, the nuns are leaving. I think it's safe to say that um, no one uh, has ever told a Jack Benny anecdote in Jack Benny's voice at Socrates in the City uh, before. So I want to thank you for that. Well, um, our goal tonight... Uh, besides just talking about uh, fame, is that um, I want to plug your book. Not yet. Okay, okay, now. But uh, a lot, h half of what we're talking about, I think, appears in columns. And I didn't say this in the, in the introduction because I didn't want the introduction to be any longer than it already was. But uh, you've been writing a column for the New York Times for what, three years, four years now? Yeah, in fact, my contract is up this week, and they oh. asked me if I want to go on. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, you know, in this supposedly sophisticated electronic age of social media, an amazing number of people still say to me, we heard you write a column for the Times, and we looked through the paper, we can never find it. <laughs> and I said, it's called a blog, and uh, it's, uh, it's not in the paper, really. It's more online. Oh. So some people have missed it. But for those who have missed at least 80 of them, they're in that book. Right. Well, that's why I bring it up, because a number of things you've said are in that book, and uh, we'll be signing the books uh, after. I'm going to sign it, too. Did you know that? No, but I think yeah. it's good. I'll sign anything. Um, but, um, and I have a copy of Merv Griffin's autobiography, which I'd like you to sign. Would now you get out of here! Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in the back. I'll get it later. Now um, cut that out. But... Um, and I'm just hoping that before the evening's over, we'll get at least one Groucho anecdote. Will that be possible? Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, well, I had a few questions for you, but Jack Parr once told me, uh, that's not true, uh, he told you not to interview someone, but to have a conversation. Yeah, before I did my first talk show, my beloved, neurotic, weird, strange, troublesome, sometimes hateful, brilliant ad-libbing genius with the electronic personality of all time for television. Nobody's come close. The great Kenneth Tynan said about him, when Jack's on the screen with someone else, you never take your eyes off Jack. And I said, why is that, Mr. Tynan? And he said, for fear you'll miss a live nervous breakdown on your home screen. <laughs> and he did a couple times. There were a few. But uh, he said, kid, when you do the show, don't do interviews, as Eric said. Uh, and I thought, do, you mean sing, read, read to the audience, what? He said, no, interviews, that's, you know, Q&A and Clipboard and David Frost and what's your favorite movie and favorite co Make it a conversation. And that's what Jack did, always. Um, 
And, and that was before the age of let me ask you this, which apparently some school of broadcasting has proclaimed everybody must say before asking any question of anyone on television. Now, let me ask you this. And I would say, who's stopping you? <laughs> I did say that to someone once. But, yeah. Um, well, I don't have a list of questions, as you can see, because I, I'm taking Jack Parr's advice. <laughs> but... Uh, but go to Q. But I have some thoughts. Uh, what's your favorite movie? No. Who's yeah. been your most interesting guest? You know, I was just going to ask you that. Um, oh, oh I yeah, I'm sorry. To, no, the, the, idea, the idea, of course I want to ask you personally, what are some of the horrors of being famous? horror stories or, or just because everyone wants, you just said this, everyone wants to be famous and we all know that it's true. Or would like to but, know what it feels like for a while, I suppose, maybe. Um, there's a, but, but I, I look, I I've used to have a little collection of quotes about several things, including fame, and I couldn't find them, but uh, there's one from H.L. Mencken, you might have guessed. It is, being famous is being known by a lot of people you don't know and don't want to. <laughs> Something to that. Um, and but isn't that part of it? In other words, the idea that, I mean, even I'm getting this now because I, I'm speaking around and stuff. And people yeah. feel that they know you. But, of course, you don't know them. And that's, to me, exactly mm-hmm. what it is to be a celebrity, is that you have people that are sure that they know you because they've seen you. And I guess to some extent they do. Yes. But you don't know them. And many of these people know you and resent the fact that you might be a little uncomfortable in their presence or feel that you would rather catch your plane than sign their autograph or you might rather meet your friends. And those are the nice ones. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, one matinee at Stratford, Connecticut, the summer I was there, and Miss Catherine Hepburn, the famous actress. Um, <laughs> now, see, they knew that name. Uh, and she jumped on her bicycle after the matinee, and she had her curlers in, and she was rushing back to her little house by the water uh, to get uh, in Stratford to get uh, a nap. And some old bag says uh, at the stage, come on back here and sign this. We're the ones that made you. And she said, like hell you are. Oh. Kept going. (laughs) And I'm sure they said, she's a terrible person. But, um, and I had to say to somebody once, look, the fact that you have seen me on television does not entitle you to part of my private life. I have no contract with you that says that. Someone who came and sat down with you at dinner or something. The dumb butts. That that was me. That's the real me. (laughs) Yes. 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 All these years. I knew I had seen you somewhere. I've haunted you. You know what I just realized about my throbbing hand? My doctor is sitting in the audience. Oh, really? (laughs) Jay, how did you know I was going to cut you? The fact that he didn't leap up, that's very telling, Dr. Meltzer. Yeah, yeah. Very telling. You know, these doctors, they get to a certain level, and they have people that uh, handle all that, you know. Oh, yes, of course. Doctor assistants and and that kind of stuff. I never know. They just kind of show up and breathe into the room and then they walk away and that's they get yeah. to charge you. I never know when to believe you, Eric. Not now. Um, <laughs> okay. Since this is called 
since this is called Socrates in the City, um, yeah. I, I want to get a little philosophical for a second sure. and talk about Thales. Have you heard of Thales? He was a pre-Socratic. Don't feel bad if you didn't know that, because he also didn't know it. Thank you. Um, I don't want to talk about Thales, but I do Are want to... Are you talking get little... about the Thales? Th yes, the Thales. Is his name an anagram for healths? Oh, my gosh. I forgot that you do anagrams. We don't, unfortunately, Almost. we don't have time for anagrams False tonight. anagram, but, close. but um, Go ahead. No, but, but a, a friend of mine who's, uh, I think his sister-in-law, is a very famous person, and, and my friend is very bright, and we were talking about the concept of celebrity, and he said um, that all the celebrities, that he's gotten to know a lot of celebrities through his famous friend who will remain nameless, it's not Catherine Hepburn, um, and, but he said that two things seem to happen uh, that make it difficult to handle fame, at least as he observed it. He mm -hmm. said that... Uh, Either one takes in all the praise and it goes to one's head, yeah. um, or one is naturally and wisely uncomfortable and unwilling to take it all in, but is mm -hmm. so uncomfortable because one feels one is a fraud somehow, that all these people like me, that if they really knew mm -hmm. me, they would know that I'm not so wonderful. So there's some That's strange it. sense of shame uh, and keeping people away because you're afraid that they'll mm -hmm. find you out. And I thought that's interesting because that, that could sum up two sort of that's types a, of celebrities. I'm sure that happens to people who aren't aware that that has happened to them. But, that, that, yeah, there's always the danger that they'll... Uh, oh, I'm ha going to have to drop a name that is one of the great frustrations of my life. I almost got Cary Grant to do a show once. And uh, I probably blew it by not... Con he was close, but he said, they'll find out how dumb I am. What a dumb thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> we just found out anyway. Not as, dumb as, uh, not as dumb as what I said, which was, I'm sure you could only be so dumb, Mr. Grant. Um, and we both laughed, I'm, especially him, which I'm glad to report. But, but he was afraid yeah. that... He made a brilliant statement about his life once when the 10,000th person said to him, man, said to him, I would give anything to be Cary Grant. He said, so would I. Um, well, he did create Cary Grant. I mean, he's one, yes, he's one of the celebrities yeah. who really did create a persona. And you can see how he would be wary mm -hmm. of uh, disappointing people. and Disappoint people and also finding out that he had a very tough life and he had drug problems and this and that and divorces and so on. But that Cary Grant in the movies couldn't have had any of those problems. Well, he did in a couple of pictures. But that, that's an interesting thought that... Uh, what do you do with it? To keep people at a distance so they don't find out who you are underneath the thing they admire. What, what, what do you do if people gush overly in your general direction? How does it make you feel? It's embarrassing, um, and I'll, I'll always go f to, for a joke, sometimes unfortunately, um, but uh, it's, um, there's an old Welsh novelist, f forgotten when he was writing, let alone now, uh, John Cooper Powys, and he had a beleaguered character in his book who had achieved something but the price was that he was hounded. And it has the touching line, 
and folks will always speak to me until the day I'm dead. Ooh. I like that. And when you're smiling. <laughs> Sorry. We were going to work in a Richard Avedon anecdote. Do we remember that? Do yes, fill me in. We had an odd event. Well, I've got to meet celebrities with you, which is <laughs> very strange. The first one probably was Woody Allen, right? You took yes. me. This sounds like I'm making... When I tell these stories, it sounds like I'm making them up. I, we went to see Mort Saul do comedy in the village. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds like this was 1959, Yeah. right? Yeah. But it was not. This was about six years ago or something uh, like that. That's right? about right. Yeah, yeah. And we went to... And um, I looked over, and there was Woody, who to me is a comedy writing god. I mean, it's like if I had met Artemis Ward or Petroleum Nasby, <laughs> I would not be as impressed as... Uh, well, you, you've heard of them? Uh, I just made them up. Bill Nye. Uh, Bill Nye. If, but, I, but to see Woody, because I... Uh, a lot of the pieces that he wrote for The New Yorker over the years, more so than, uh, than his movies, but his written humor, which I aspire to, and I've written written humor... Um, I remember lines because many of them are genuinely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Here, here's one. He said, the lion and the lamb will lie down together, but the lamb won't get much sleep. <laughs> Isn't that, how do you ever forget that, right? But so there's so, yeah. there's so much of... Exactly. Uh, so Was that in a thing where he said, the meat shall inherit the earth right in the mouth? No. Right in the teeth probably would be a better wording. Well, he, uh, anyway, he's written many lapidary phrases. Yeah. Let me tell you about the word lapidary. Uh, so, but to actually meet this man whose words I had memorized, you know, it was such an honor for me. And you, you, you feel unequal to it. And I felt unequal to it. I'd never met anyone who's a, a legend like that, yeah, uh, whose right. words I'd memorized. But, of course, when I met him, I felt the need to be funny. Unfortunately, you were there, so you can remember this painful moment. But I went up to you, introduced me, and I remember I, I, I looked at him and I took his hand and I said, You look so familiar. That's right. Do, and and do he went, that? Sorry? And no, and he didn't even groan or say that stupid. He looked at me like I was a bug. <laughs> he, just, he just let it ride, let me squirm. He looked at. And it was an agony. It was really an agony. Um, if he'd punched me, I would have, it would have been better. But it, it, he was so, I think I can say this, he was so ungracious in that moment. Maybe he was sick or something like that, or rude. Um, but, but the fact is that to meet someone that, that one has uh, sort of held up that way, and then to have that moment be such an anticlimax, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. the strangest puzzlement and agony. And I'm sure uh, you've had this experience with a few people. Yes, I've, had, I've done that and realized I said the wrong thing or thought, uh, tried to say what I thought would appeal to them and I missed by a mile and you just want to go get under the rug somewhere. Um, you'll, you'll remember that I did. You got under the rug, yeah. yeah. I got and under was, the rug, you don't remember that? It was a linoleum, yeah. you had a hard right. time. Right, it wasn't easy, it was, had a chisel, yeah. but I got under there. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, the Richard Avedon anecdote, you, yeah. you and I, we also were together with Kitty Carlisle Hart, who brings us back to Groucho, of course. Night at the Opera. Night at the Opera. And I thought, what an honor to meet this woman who has been in a Marx Brothers movie. <laughs> I can't get over it. But, um, 
but we were also together when we went to see Mickey Rooney perform. Yep. Now, again, it sounds like we're talking about something that happened 49 or 80 years ago. Relatively few. It wasn't. It wasn't many years ago. It was maybe six, seven years ago. Um, And he was, at the time, 84, so it's probably six years ago. Right. And there was an intermission, and actually before beforehand, I saw Richard Avedon in the lobby, yeah. and I pointed him out to you, right. right? And he looked like an old woman. Do you remember that? Yes, he did. But, but don't mention that publicly, because. No. But um, but the fact is that uh, at the intermission, you and Dick Avedon and I were waiting in line to use the one bathroom in the tiny Irish repertory theater, right. and so we got in a conversation with Dick Avedon. And he said to you, uh, he said, Mickey, uh, he's not looking too good up there, Dick. He's not looking too good. Because he was very, he was sort of infirm. He's 84 years old. Richard Avedon was 80 at the time and extremely full of energy and stuff. And, and Mickey Rooney looked old. And I remember Dick Avedon saying to you, he's, Mickey's not looking too good up there, Dick. He says, is that, uh, is that what we have to look forward to? Oof. And he winced, you know, like, I don't want to get like that. And the door to the bathroom opened, and he walked in and closed it, and we never saw him again. And 30 days later, I read in the New York Times, Richard Avedon dropped dead of a stroke 30 days later. Was that a good And I thought, 30 days before, he uh-huh. was complaining to you that he might have to get old and shuffle around like Mickey yeah. Rooney, and he doesn't. Well, that's too long a story to tell. Isn't that fascinating? It's been told elsewhere. But, Be yeah. honest. But the man who died on my show while That's, I was taping... Uh, did you all hear that? Long and ghastly A man story. died on, when he... Yeah, this is the yeah. famous, yeah. please. And it's in the book quite vividly. Um, it starts saying, to this day, people come up to me and say, I'll never forget the look on your face when that guy dropped dead. And now I have the choice of saying to them, you were in the audience because the show never aired. Did my description the next night do that to them? These people could pass a polygraph test if they saw saw this happen. But uh, it's funny. I wouldn't have thought of this until you told that. The next day, some of us on the staff watched the entire live death on tape. And none of us remembered that J.I. Rodale... Prevention Magazine, Rodale Press. Who would the gods have die on in the air but a health expert? Um, had said, I plan to live to be 100. Never felt better in my life. He was very funny. I had made a mental note to have him back. Uh, and one, well, the only other thing was, he said, he was a bit of a joker, and he said, I'm in such great health that the other day I fell down a long flight of stairs and I laughed all the way. None of us remembered that he had said any of those things. It's funny how we post-edited them out because of the horror of what we went through that night. Well, on but that for Abaddon to predict his own death backwards or something. I just, and the funny thing is I was about to pull out my little digital camera and ask Richard Abaddon to take a picture of us so that I could have a Dick Abaddon photo oh, yeah. of us. I did think of that. And I was just, this is no joke, I was just reaching in, and the door to the bathroom opened, and he walked in, and it was over. We never got that picture. And we never got the picture, and when I say it was over, it was over, yeah. because 30 days later he died. But I thought, yeah. what an extraordinary thing for him yeah. to muse on his Maybe. own mortality in that way. He was a bit of a shit. 
You know, they say that. Uh, but, um, uh, not, I, but not entirely. I think... Uh, oh, you reminded me. You, you got into something earlier. Remember? I was told sharply on a show once, you must never say anything bad about the dead. Especially uh, Hitler. Huh? Especially Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I said back. No. Yes, it is. Did I step on your line? Um, no, what I said was, oh, well, okay, I'll bear that in mind, and uh, next time the subject of Hitler comes up, I'll think of some nice things to say about it. But, um, but uh, it's just, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Carry on. You know, I forgot what you were going to say. Isn't that funny? I forgot who we are. Um, I think, well, we want to we have some time for Q&A, so I don't know, have, yeah, has we anybody do. been collecting cards? I haven't seen any movement. Uh, are there, is, are there any questions? Oh, there are cards. Oh, look at them being collected now. Oh, cards. Well, I probably wasn't clear about the fact that the, um, the we would need are, to have the questions for oh. the Q&A portion. To fill this awkward pause, oh, would my. anyone with a good voice let's like to sing, shout out a question? Let's take off our ties. Let's... Let's, uh... This is going to be a... How, uh... You know, that doesn't sound written down. What was the question? What was the question? I don't know, but it wasn't legible. Uh, we really are going to take off our ties. I, I don't know why. We don't know uh, why we agreed to do this backstage, but we thought it might be fun for you. Look at you. To see our ties come Unbelievable. Off. You look so casual, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> you are Incredible. Ought well, since you're dropping the F-bomb, I figured maybe we could take the ties Does somebody off. want to yell out a question? I dare you. How's oh, Tick how Hall? is Tick Hall? Oh, oh Tick that's a—it's the name she's, of my my house. It's—it's fine. It's, it's fine. You she's may fine. have seen a documentary about it. A lot of people see now. You'll have to that. explain this because yeah. a lot of people here won't know. This is one of the most amazing things. I had the privilege of of being there. So please. Uh... Yeah, it's a, it's well, I I was lucky enough to find a Stanford White House overlooking the sea in Montauk years ago, and. Um, great place and got it and lived in it for many years and it burned down and my late wife uh, said we'll put it back up and I thought oh yeah and we duplicated it and there's an interesting documentary called um, From the Ashes that plays around PBS about Tick Hall any other impersonal questions? How's Tick Hall? How are the other Stanford White Houses? No? Uh, Can I have some? Thank you Can I have some? These are terrible questions. Uh, this question uh, is so illegible, it must have been written by Albin Sader. Is Albin here? Uh, have you learned the tricks the great Slidini did, or any other fun Slidini story? Slidini. Yeah. There are two pieces in there about this great master magician who was a hero of mine as a boy getting magic catalogs, the great Slidini, the greatest close-up magic artist ever. That's just a fact, not an opinion. And you can see him by, con- by Googling Conjuring Slidini, and you will have the fun of reading my two columns about him and seeing the two half-hour shows that preserved his work for the only time that was done. I got a lifetime membership in the Magic Castle for Slidini. You will, you will never see anything like him uh, I, I, I look it up. I, I would look it up if I were you, yes. Uh, yeah, I studied with him. I know how he did most things that some others nobody does. 
and uh, it's just uh, seeing him is like if a man came in and walked up the wall cards, coins, cigarettes no gimmicks pure magic and I've seen those videos and read your columns on him which is one of the reasons I want to ask that yeah. Well, here, this is kind of a depressing question in fact it's literally about depression Oh, is it literally? It didn't get a laugh. Depression yeah. usually gets a laugh when you... Um, is there anything lapidary about it? Dick, you... Um, have I told you about the word lapidary? Yes, you did. Oh, all right. I'll tell you something that will pin... I can take a hint. This will pick... Uh, yeah? Uh, 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 it's my turn. Um, that it's, will it's pin all your turn. one of your ears back. The great Groucho Marx, and don't prepare to laugh... We were talking once about the written humorists, the great ones. And as he said, Benchley, Thayber, Kaufman, uh, you know, Perelman. And he said, you know, you can read a lot of Benchley at once, and you can read a lot of Thurber at once, but you can't read a lot of Perelman at one sitting. That's correct. It's too lapidary. Really? He really said that? Yes, he did. Yep. Well, back to the question about depression. Are you prepared to apologize? Uh, it is a funny question. Uh, you've spoken publicly about your bouts with depression. What made you decide to go public with this part of your life? Oh, uh, well, that's easy in retrospect. I, I, I couldn't see any reason not to at the time. The times, I might have had a bit of a hint that it would help some people. And the only nice thing about depression is that someone allegedly famous, having had it, that's a great comfort to people who aren't and who have it for some reason we could go into more deeply. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, yeah. And thank you for making it four syllables and not schadenfreude, the way you hear it all the time. Anyway, so when someone comes up and says, you saved my daughter's life, um because she was a great fan of yours, and when you, she read about you in depression, she uh, decided to get help. She was ashamed to until then, or my father turned himself in because of you. And uh, It's a funny thing, of all the things I said about depression, and I, I wanted to pull back because I didn't want to become the poster boy for depression, uh, but then I was on Larry King about it and a couple other things, shows. Um, the one that struck the greatest cord with victims was something I thought of while on the Larry King show and I just said there's a strange feeling about it it's, I said it's a, a, you can't imagine how bad it is if there were a magic wand on the table six feet away that would cure you it would be too much trouble to pick it up and a lot of people went yeah that says it. I'm not sure why that says it. I'm not sure it's my profoundest feeling about depression, but that's... The, I, I uh, was on the couch during one long session, and I decided that that's a waste of time. Talk while you're in deep depression. You don't even know what's being said. You can't follow a sentence from beginning to end. You can't remember what you just thought or what was just said. You go home and all you see is the sidewalk and you can't remember anything about what just happened. But in that session, the doctors... I get... So it's so frustrating for somebody who hasn't had it to try to give them an idea how bad it is. 
And I said, I wish you and all your colleagues could have this for five minutes or one minute. And the quality of it, you would not believe it. And he said, well, I know. I felt I almost went to pieces when my father died. And I sort of rose up and turned, breaking the rules, to the doctor and said, do you think grief is even close to this? And he said, I, I shouldn't have said that. I was sort of nice. And that's why I say, when you're smiling, <laughs> got to keep the tone up. Uh, I have some, uh, some other questions. Some of these, um, here's a statement. The blood on your tissue is the face of the Virgin Mary. That's a true or false question. Can I see that? Let me see. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Do you have the answer? That... Nah, looks like Padre Pio, actually. It's, uh... Thank you. Thank you. I like uh, when Jesus appears in pieces of toast and stuff. Don't you really? uh, yeah. this, is a, this is another question. Now, I think you'll know the answer to this question. Okay. What is the capital of North Dakota? I, how did I know you were going to say that? I don't know. Hand me one without looking at it. Really? Just for fun. Yeah, just catch as catch cannot. Oh, just one, Just one cod. You gave me a long one. We're from Cleveland, and New York is so dirty. What makes your town so crummy? <laughs> Tourists. Let me just say, as the host of Socrates in the City, I apologize to all the stupid tourists in the room. Um, oh, well. These are, uh, well, they're almost legible. Uh, here's a question that I would like to ask. And in fact, I get to ask it. How do you do that? That's extraordinary. I did that in Charlie's Aunt and, and got a huge laugh. <laughs> There's a man now who saw me. There's a man now who's heard of Charlie's Aunt. At Williamstown? Um, At Winston, yeah. W was it? Uh-huh. Uh, how did I know that? Uh, would you consider it. making a short series of interviews a comeback of sorts? Well, I think we... I can, let me rephrase that. Um, hmm. Would you like to do what you did on TV again, and why, well, yeah. why wouldn't you? There was this... Uh, earlier this year, there was on CBS Sunday Morning... They did a really great piece, beautifully done, called Would the Cabot Show Survive Today or something, talking about everything's in seven-minute segments now and so on and so on. And media is scattered everywhere. And it, it was a beautiful segment. Did you not see it? I'll no, see that you see it. I didn't see it. Uh, Grou Groucho's in it, and they had some wonderfully selected clips and stuff. Uh, and I don't know what the answer was, finally, but um, I, I have a feeling now that I'd like to, that I'm in shape to do it. And I rather would like it. I don't know that I would. No. I wouldn't do it if I were you. Um, so, oh, tell somebody I'm available. That was a cheap. That was a cheap joke for the groundlings in the balcony. Um, 
now this is, this is pretty specific, Dick. Some of these questions, this is even more specific than the North Dakota question. It wasn't that specific. Uh, my sister was on your show and Oliver Reed poured a pitcher of water over her head. Do you remember? No. Thank you. <laughs> I think somebody made that up. But because I didn't they remember wanted, it as they, being over her head. No, seriously, I have the slightest idea. You don't remember that it was water. Why would Oliver Reed, the British actor, pour a pitcher of water over your sister's head? She must have been asking for it. I don't, don't admit That's what they say about question. women, right? She must have asked um, for it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but if it, I, I'm not saying it's not true, either. Are you smoking anything? Okay, this is, the, this is one of those questions. If you could invite any three guests, living or dead. Oh, yeah. Not decomposed, but dead. <laughs> onto your show. Now, it says, who would you choose? We know the person meant to write, whom would you choose? Yeah. So don't admit to having written this, because it would be sure. very embarrassing. Whom is still a word in the English language, and if uh, English is your first language, yeah. you want to brush up on the objective case. But uh, I believe the question was meant to be, if you can invite any three guests, living or dead, onto your show, whom would you choose? Well, whom, indeed. Would they also write, what is your, your list? What is it, apostrophe, S, oh, no. number, names? No, okay. Nobody knows the difference between that and lay and lie. Except you and me, I but think. That, and and I'm not so sure about you. Um, uh, now, seriously. No, I um, but uh, that's a hard one. I think uh, just off the top of my head, without putting in Groucho, who of all my guests probably meant the most to me ever, um, probably Oscar Wilde, Mark Twain, and Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. Now, I assume I? you're using Kathy Lee just as a joke. There's not some odd logic to that. No, no, uh-uh. There's not. Mm-mm. Don't that's, work at it too hard. That's sad. Uh, the, the, but that Oscar Wilde, Mark Twain, Kathy Lee Gifford reminds me of one of those Chinese uh, menu... No, it's, it's, uh, those placemats you get in Chinese restaurants where they have the year of, you know, the rat, the year of the... Well, and then they yeah, list... Yeah. Sometimes they'll list celebrities. And I remember reading... This is they no will? joke. I remember once reading, you know, gee, the year of the monkey. Who's in the year of the monkey? And it said, Buddha, Socrates, David Niven. <laughs> and I thought, you know... That kind of sums it up. They're all celebrities. Yeah. Buddha, Socrates, David Niven. I think I have all their autographs. But that's kind of like, it's kind of like Oscar Wilde, Mark Twain, Kathy Lee Gifford, in a way. Because there's nothing wrong with David Niven, but in that company, he's not looking so hot. Is there there a word for that joke form or the the descending, suddenly descending? I think think Woody Allen invented it, didn't he? I wonder. It's like X, Y, and matzo ball soup. It's always, right? Eric. This will interest you. Will it? Will it interest them? Yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, I saw Woody the other day. We went and visited our ex-manager, our great beloved Jack Rollins, who's very old, and we visited him. And I wanted to say to him, and we didn't have time because he had to fly to Rome two days ago to make a movie. Do you, when you're writing, are you aware who's influencing you at that moment? 
you know, if you, you he, when I was, a, when we first met young men years and years and years ago, he said, you know, the, the young people don't know the humorists or anything that took place before their own birth. You can't find young people who know who Benchley, Thurber, Kaufman, Perelman uh, were the, and the others, Parker. Uh, and when you're writing a certain sort of line for a New Yorker piece or whatever, do you ever think, I wouldn't have written that if I hadn't read Thurber? I, I've even thought, I wonder if Thurber said this, and, I've, and I really know I'm influenced by something Thurber wrote. And the only one whose genius was so brilliant that he can't really influence anybody was the great Fred Allen, whom a discouraging percentage of people don't even know who I'm talking about. Even Steve Allen? No. Um, Marty Allen? Marty <laughs> Allen, yeah. Uh, for example, if you were assigned to write a joke, uh, and it, it was so windy joke, or I were, in a million years I would not have come up with Fred Allen's. It was so windy, I saw a hen lay the same egg twice. <laughs> it's just genius, isn't it? Wow. Wow. I mean, I didn't get it the uh, first hey. instant I read it. And, um, well, that, and yeah. he said about Milton Berle's great success in a letter to Groucho, Milton is the moron's messiah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get better than that? That's, it. That's in the book. I know it because I just read it. I, I think it is. Uh, is Milton it? is yeah. the mor- Yeah, no, it's, yeah. In, it's in that book. It's all in the book, really. So um, <laughs> I'm going to get philosophical again. You, now, you talk about this influence, which makes me think of Harold Bloom whom I had at Yale. Oh, you he did? He was not there during your time. No. But uh, he talks about the anxiety of influence and how every, we're all being influenced and, and so on and so forth. And I've de- I know that I've been influenced by Woody Allen, and I'm thrilled to, uh, yes. to say so. And through him, uh-huh. by Perlman and Benchley. Here's a Woody form I probably wouldn't think of uh, in that same way as I'm saying about Fred Allen. He has a great piece about the mafia in one of his collected pieces. And in it, he is called upon to name several. Louis the Gyp Gorandini, Tomaldo the Hook Bacciarelli, Leo the Fish Capotella, and Mario the Logical Positivist Gensolini. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Remember that? Yes. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just getting it again. Okay, I want to uh, I, I ask you again to get back to sort of the, na- the nature of celebrity and fame and what, what is it about that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it has something to do with transcendence, right? We want, we want to touch the ineffable, right? And that's what celebrities represent to mm-hmm. us somehow. We think, if only I could meet so-and-so. Some, it's like meeting Santa Claus or God. There's yeah. something about certain people that you think somehow they have the ability to do something. You're not sure what, but it's not something pedestrian. It's something... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right. You couldn't define it, but you know that there must be something very desirable about it. <clears throat> Some of it might rub off on you. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, in itself, the loss of privacy when it starts. I remember I, I was when I first knew Woody, he was appearing on Merv Griffin's show and the Tonight Show. And I said, but people aren't recognizing you. And he said, you have to do a lot, a lot of television before they start recognizing you. And then, of course, it was my fate to do a lot and a lot of them. But you do realize suddenly you can't pick your nose anymore in public and uh, get caught with your fly open with the same consequences, famous, that you get when you're not. And the fact that people will come over and bore your ass off talking to you uh, in many, many you, cases. Did you point anybody out? Because uh, I wasn't pointing at any friends. <laughs> point them out, they won't do it again. Um, you inadvertently hit on something there, though. Uh, Shirley Temple, there's a great quote about fame from Shirley Temple. Do you know the one I mean? Um, I believed in Santa Claus until he asked for my autograph. Oh. <laughs> Sweet and poignant. That's incredibly poignant. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that just for example, uh, one of the joys of knowing you is knowing that you knew uh, people that are absolute, you know, untouchable gods like Groucho, and, and mm. not just because they've died, but the idea that. Uh, that you've known some of these people, it, it's thrilling. And I think there is something about celebrity. You think that those people, they know everyone, or they mm. know, or maybe it's the ability of transcending time, this idea that you, you've hung out with people that are long gone and they're part of another era. Yeah. And, and I and can it, touch them through you. What you said about, when I said that thing about the Redwoods, that I really, that feeling, I looked at my, believe me, this is not a plug, but this DVD of mine, Is it on camera? Uh, it's on Amazon. I was, I was being... Thank you. That, it is on Amazon. Now that's a plug. That is a plug. And he took the fall. Um, I was on radio plugging my book, and a guy said, uh, that the list of people you had on is incredible. And I had this on the table, and I said, listen. Or he said, who's on that? And I said... Fred Astaire, Marlon Brando, Mel Brooks, Frank Capra, Betty Davis, Kirk Douglas, Catherine Hepburn, and Alfred Hitchcock, John Huston, Groucho Marx, Robert Mitchum, and Orson Welles. The whole shows are there. But the thing that struck me in reading that list suddenly on the air was, who are their counterparts today? Now, that isn't to say we don't have Meryl Streep and other great actors and actresses, but... We, we don't have her. But we don't? No, you didn't hear? Oh, you bastard. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. What? Oh, earlier today, you didn't hear? I'll fill you in later. Um, but... Uh, Can no, you believe that? No, no, no. Of course we have Meryl Streep. Uh, what a wretched little man you But you know be. we don't have... <laughs> <laughs> but you heard about De Niro. Now stop it! Okay. Uh, I'll pour water over your head like Oliver Reed, was it? Sorry. Did your sister recover or, or drown? <laughs> we wonder, was it really Oliver? <laughs> um, well, we, I, I've got some of the most specific odd questions. I'm going to just read them staccato fashion. Okay. In fact, I'll tap them out for you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Wait, Eric. Yes? A minute ago, did you say something like you feel these famous yes. icons know everything? And you or were know? listening. Yeah. Yes, I did say that. Something came through. 
Well, uh, the idea, well, the idea of transcendence, I mean, Shakespeare talks about immortal longings, right? There's a, actually, here's another person that you met that I would kill uh, to have met. Shakespeare? John che- no, not Shakespeare, thank you. Yeah. Um, John Cheever, in one of his short stories, oh, yeah. he writes, he's, now there's someone that I would have loved to, to have met, but yeah. Cheever, uh, whose voice I heard for the first time on an audio tape of your show in, I think, 1984. Um, But he, in one of his short stories, talks about somebody obviously having some kind of a lustful feeling, but he refers to it as immortal longings, quoting the bard. I like to call him the bard. Mm -hmm. But that idea of that it's not just this thing, but it's a longing for transcendence, that fundamentally that's what even misplaced longings our mm-hmm. longings for a kind of transcendence. And I think that that's what the appeal of fame or celebrity is somehow. I, I think it's know. probably true. A sense that you'll be elevated above the common person, that there'll be some magical thing that will make the rest of your life enchanted in some way. Or even that um, you'll, you'll step outside of time. I mean, I think that uh, yes. you think of uh, people who fall in love with, uh, uh, with somebody's music, right? You know, I yeah. think that uh, certain lines in a song... It's usually more Bernie Taupin than Elton John, but uh, I probably shouldn't be so open. Uh, but it, it, that somehow it speaks to you in a way that you feel that that person knows me or I know that person mm-hmm. and I've just got to. But mm-hmm. then if you meet the person, it's just a person with feet of clay, as Woody Allen certainly yeah. was when I met him. Thank you very much. <laughs> those, those clay feet of his. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a hard time walking. Now, do you remember, where does that come from, uh, feet of clay? Anybody I have the slightest idea. I often wonder about phrases like that. Someone had to be the first to say it. I remember a Life magazine article letter saying that your article about William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy just ruined me. Why? Why do all our idols have to have feet of clay? And I was a little kid. I didn't know what the hell they meant by feet of clay. That they didn't scrape their shoes off when they I came I think, I'm not sure about yeah. this, but uh, it would be rude for me to look at my iPhone now. But um, unless my wife calls, honey, don't call. Um, but uh, I think it comes from uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, there's an idol made of different. Somebody Daniel sees a dream, and there are different. Uh, the top of it is made of. Really? Somebody help me. Um, anyway, it's ba- not clay. It's made. It's made of this, and then this part is made of this. But Lapis feet, lazuli. But the feet. What? Lapis lazuli. No, no, no. Mm. Uh, but it, but it, but the feeder uh, of clay. In other words, the most, the least valuable of all things. Well, the feet of clay. So even this great clay. idol, which is made of gold and silver, but the feeder of clay. I think that's where it comes well, from. I could be completely wrong, and we're off you, the subject. You do hate to hear of what a schmuck someone you admire is, or was, or can be to people. Um, I found another thing that. You can make assumptions about famous people that they know famous things about themselves. And I have two quick examples. Sitting there with Miss Hepburn, I said, what was your feeling when that quote, who gets credit, was it the Algonquin Roundtable, someone who made that remark about you, uh, your cheekbones, your famous cheekbones? and called them the greatest calcium deposit this side of Dover. <laughs> and it's a wonderful it was line. And it was somebody like H. Allen Smith or someone at that time. She said, I never heard that before. Well, who do you think said it? <laughs> and I thought, it's the most famous thing. To Another quick example. Riding in a limo with Fred Astaire. Am I dropping names? 
we had just taped five hours of stuff for the Kennedy Center archives, and the air conditioning was off in it. So we had the windows down. We stopped for a light on Beverly Boulevard or somewhere, sunset probably. Two tourist ladies were standing here and heard perhaps me say to him, what was your feeling when whoever it was said about you and Ginger Rogers that she gave you sex appeal and you gave her class? Oh, I said, it was Catherine Hepburn who rather famously said that about you in the 40s. And he said, here's what the ladies heard. I saw them recognize us. What? Uh, well, uh, Mr. Stare, <laughs> uh, she said that you and Rogers gave you sex pill. You gave her... What the hell? Oh, Dick, I don't believe that. What? Jesus, what? What does that mean? I'm a fag or something? I mean, what the... <laughs> it's just... It's the stupidest thing I, I ever... And just as the ladies were focusing, he said, Catherine Hepburn is full of shit. Wow. Ever told you that? No. Oh, imagine them trying to convince their friends what they heard and saw. Oh, I loved it. That's that's hard to believe. That's amazing. But neither of them knew the... Fame, two famous things. That and I love the fact that both of those anecdotes are linked by Catherine Hepburn. Hepburn is the common uh, element in the two of them, yeah. Do you yeah. think it means anything? No, Neither nothing means anything. Neither do I. I think everything means everything. See Sarch on that subject. We do. Um, all right, I've, I've got a couple of questions that I have to okay. ask. Okay. They're just burning a hole in my palm. Uh, I don't have a question, but could you please make one up for me? Thanks. Does anyone know that geographical question you asked earlier? Does everyone here know what that's did about? We ever, did we, I'm surprised no, well, how many what? people have tell not that, heard that. Tell that story. The, que- the geographical yeah. question is, what's the capital of North Dakota? Yeah, Julius Marx was um, uh, also known as Groucho Marx, and he was in vaudeville with his brothers, and they were big stars while they were in their 20s and 30s. And he said, we were playing, and uh, I, I sort of do him when I, t- have to, I fall into it. Uh, we were in... Uh, Minneapolis, and, and it was a matinee, and uh, somebody came back and said, um, are you interested in spiritualism? And I said, yes. And they said, you want to go, they asked him if you wanted to go to a seance, so the trance medium, Anna Eva Fay, famous trance medium from England, I think. And they said, now Groucho, there must not be any fooling around. These people are believers and these are solemn occasions. And he said, well, I'm not an idiot off stage all the time. I can, I'm interested in the you know, supernatural. So he went, apartment, draped in black, some wealthy person's home, probably a woman who looked like Margaret Dumont of the Marx Brothers. <laughs> got up and said, and he didn't have his mustache because he painted it on. And so what? Nobody knew that. Just kidding. Yeah. I knew that. Nobody knew that. And he said, um, and she said, uh, I am in touch with the other world. Does anyone have a question? 
Does anyone have a question? And a familiar voice said, What is the capital of North Dakota? <laughs> he, had to, he said he had to run for his life. <laughs> I'm glad we all know the provenance of that now, because it's, yeah. it's too important for that to be lost to history. Now we know. No, yeah, and we'll pass that on. What's capital of North Dakota? I'm empty-handed on that one. Um, some people have written these cheeky questions. We don't have much time here. Uh, will there be dogs in heaven? Now, gosh, if, oh. I could ask, if I could ask Dick Cavett one question, surely that would be it. That will there be, be the dogs one. in heaven? Knowing that I would have the answer. Yes. If there is no heaven for thee, then there is no heaven for me. I saw as a kid on a picture of a little girl patting her dog. He was dead. That's beautiful. <laughs> and ten minutes later, she dropped dead. It was a wonderful... The, que- <laughs> the question... It's very sweet. The question of... Uh, of whether dogs will go to heaven. Actually, in my Bonhoeffer book, which I'm not plugging. No. Uh, By the way, it is a work of genius. We don't know who wrote it. (laughs) Um, But but in there, Bonhoeffer struggles with this question. A little kid asks him Mm -hmm. and says, Herr Wolf ist tot that his dog had just died. But this is an important question. But I'm just... And and, and he struggles with it. But anyway, I guess you'll have to buy the book. Um, But anyway, uh, will dogs go to heaven? All right, here's another question. My question would be, are there people in heaven? But I don't want to be controversial. That's good. (laughs) Why, what do you mean? No, I I just... uh, I guess my my, uh, Welch Baptist hellfire preacher grandfather Richards once... uh, I was a little kid, and we were sitting on the porch, and I said, Where's he- how far is heaven, Grandpa? And he said, farther than we can see, Dickie. And I never forgot it. And I thought, will they ever be able to see far enough, maybe? It was well before the telescope. The Hubble. Yeah, now we can the- see it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but they never tell you <laughs> what they see there. I have much to say on this subject, is there but any fortunately mention? we're out of time. Oh, oh no. Uh, yeah, we're just Is heaven described in any way in, this, in Scripture? Of course. I mean, in d- any kind of physical details? or Where did we get all the nonsense about harps and bird wings? That's all covered in my book, which you blurbed. <laughs> we, won't, we won't talk about that. I was I'll have to asking get you a fresh, for them. Oh, right, right, right. I have, have them in mind. have to get a fresh mind. copy. Um, right. Well, it's, you know this new book about this little kid who went to heaven? Yeah. You know about that, right? You and know, I, I talked to someone who read that, and they said, you know, that's quite incredible. I think that was me. Oh, well, then forget yeah. it. Yeah. Well, we have the same publisher, this little kid and I. Oh, it but, was you. Yes, it Forgive was. me. Yeah, it was you, yeah. Were it? Yeah, um, were you. But I, I uh, in, in the story, he talks about his uh, dead relatives or whatever and saying that they have wings, right? And that was the only thing in the book that gave me pause because I have to say yeah. his descriptions are staggering. And if you don't believe in heaven, read the book. Should I read it? I would... Well, yeah. my wife and I have read it. Everything except the meat of it where he talks about heaven, yeah. it's kind of poorly written and, and it's padded, you know, because they needed to get a whole book out of, uh, yeah. out of what really was a magazine article. But what he... Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, uh, but what he... Um, 
But we need to, it's fascinating and very, very compelling. There are many anecdotes, I mean, many, many uh, stories that I have read along these lines which are absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that troubled me about his story is that he says that the, the people, when they, they died or whatever, they had wings, right? And that's one of the misnomers that I write about in my book. In other yes. words, angels have wings, but people are people. We're, we don't become angels when we go mm -hmm. to heaven. We may be off topic, Dick. Let me ask you another question. What, does angel need, what do angels need with wings? Well, the, well, great question. We're going to be covering that in our next Socrates in the City on July 11th with N.T. Wright, about whom I'm sure you've never heard. Um, okay. Actually, you know, this would be a good place for don't me, for, it, for me to mention these because I don't want to oh, okay. step on your applause. Okay. So let, let me say, actually, this is true. Our next Socrates in the City is going to be very soon. Uh, in fact, we need this room. It's going to be in 45 minutes. Uh, it's going to be on July 11th. Did I pronounce that right, 11th? Uh, it's going to be on July 11th, and it's N.T. Wright. Some of you have heard of N.T. Wright. Some of you don't know who he is. He was the Bishop of Durham. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the uh, leading New Testament scholars on planet Earth, which is pretty much where they live, the New Testament scholars. But he, he's extraordinary. If, if, if you've heard of him, you'd be impressed. He has a kind of fame. Um, Let me drop another name. Did you ever hear of B. Davy Napier? You mean the dean of Calhoun College at Yale? Was he dean then? I had his Old Testament course. Oh, my goodness. It was wonderful. You're not making this up. He, no. was, he was the dean when I was there in the early 80s. Oh, really? I don't know that he was the... I don't think he was when I was, but he was just a hell of a good teacher. Yeah, he was, he was um, theologically very liberal. Uh, I mm -hmm. remember he was uh, giving a speech to the undergraduates once, and he was quoting um, the psalm. He was quoting a psalm, talking to... Uh, actually, it was just Calhoun. Yeah. Were you, what college were you in, Davenport? Uh, no, I was a bus boy in Trumbull, but I was in Saybrook. Okay. I was a uh, you probably didn't kitchen have worker in Calhoun, and I was in Calhoun, so I couldn't <laughs> hide it. They knew that I came from public schools. Yeah. But, I, um, but I don't anymore. But, uh, but, uh, but Napier was giving a, a speech one time to, to the, the assembled at Calhoun, and he was quoting the Psalms. And he said something about, the, 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 there's nothing more wonderful than this, and there's nothing wonderful than this, and nothing more wonderful than the way of a man with a maid, right? Mm -hmm. And then he suddenly caught himself because he realized it was politically incorrect in 1983 to suggest that there was something unique about male-female interaction. Uh -huh. So he caught himself and he said, or a man with another man, or a maid with, uh, with, with another maid. <laughs> he smiled his way through it, but we will never forget it. And someday I'll tell you that but story. But he never waded into that one quite I'll the never, same But, you know, way. if you're going to bring up okay. Napier, that's yeah. the first thing that I think of. But he was a kindly gent. He I wish I could gent. find his book. He wrote a book that we used in class. I must throw this in appropriate to our theme. Who wrote the following uh, trip to, uh, three lines? <laughs> Haiku. No memory... No memory of having starred atones for later disregard, nor keeps the end from being hard. Wow. Isn't that? I, you know what, I think we should... did not write that, <laughs> but Mr. Robert Frost did. I would have guessed either Emily Dickinson yeah. or Angie Dickinson. <laughs>
I think I know. <laughs> I think I know the whole poem. It's only five stanzas, but isn't that a chilling? Uh, well, that's this, the penultimate. I'm going to save. I'm going to save my final question for for just a moment. I want. I want to. I want to mention these pedestrian things so that we don't have to mention them after. Right. Okay. okay. So these are the pedestrian things that I'm now going to mention. Okay. Um, that poem, by the way, is "Provide, Provide" by Robert Frost, and it's the dark side of Robert Frost that they don't teach in high school, where you think he's a harmless little old gent who writes about cider and. Oh, he was very—he was very dark. Do you dark know the poem as hell. About the, uh, what's the one about the heel, the spider? Oh yes. I saw a dimpled spider, fat and white, on a heel all. Anyway, it talks about a spider devouring a moth. It's chilly and pleasant, and I won't quote it anymore. Well, this but it was dark. I learned, I learned about the dark frost. In, uh, well, this one starts, the, wit, the witch who came, the wrinkled hag, to wash the steps with pail and rag, was once the beauty Abishag, the picture pride of Hollywood. Too many fall from great and good for you to doubt the likelihood. Die early and avoid the fate, or if predestined to die late, make up your mind to die in state. Make the whole stock exchange your own. If need be, occupy a throne where nobody can call you crone. Some have relied on what they knew, some on merely being true, what worked for them might work for you. No memory of having starred atones for later disregard or keeps the end from being hard. Better to go down dignified with boughten friendships by your side than none at all. Provide, provide. Thank you very much. Did you know that I, just to lighten the tone, by the way, I teach the moonwalk, and I'm sorry I ever gave it to Michael Jackson. He, uh, I knew the Jackson 5, my early show, I knew Michael when he was black. Uh. <laughs> I'd created such a nice mood, and then... It wasn't that nice. Um, <laughs> to go from Frost to, uh, to that... Isn't that a hell of a poem? I think though? we really may have to go back to Frost. Um, the, hell, hell of a poem. It's a hell of a poem. And, and not ho- known. But, ho- but don't... That was so magnificent. I'm going to say these pedestrian things. I want to come back to this because I want to end on that. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. you see what I'm trying to do? Yeah, we can... Yeah. I can't. Uh, we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to have a book signing. We have books. You'll have to go, you'll have to purchase the books. And, and I'm sorry, but you're going to have to purchase the books. Some of you got the books for free. If you Won't paid that extra, take some of the fun out of if it? You, I know. If you, had, if you paid extra, you get, you get a book. And if you really paid extra, you get copies of Dick's, uh, all of these marvelous shows available on DVD. And if you don't get them, go on Amazon and buy them because they're unbelievable. I've been watching them, and boy, oh boy, oh boy. We could yeah. do another one of these uh, just talking about some of that, but we don't have time, yep. so we won't. Yep. Um, but my goodness. 
Um, so you can do that. You can buy the books. We're going to have a table up here. Uh, we're going to make a line. These are my instructions. For the book signing, please limit conversation because Dick Cavett doesn't like people. Is this true? Is this true? Incredible. I didn't write that. He doesn't... Uh, Okay. I like uh, some people. You like some people, yes. Uh, and the people you don't like, I like, right? So, um, okay, so in a few minutes we're, we're going to do that. We've got the books. We have seated, by the way, again, we do Socrates in the City about once a month. Our next event really is going to be on July 11th. N.T. Wright really is an unbelievably spectacular and uh, extremely well-spoken, fun-to-hear uh, New Testament theologian. Um, uh, so that's July 11th. We've got all this information on our website, so you can go to it. CDs of tonight, now this is amazing, are going to be available in 15 minutes, unless we keep talking, in which case they'll be available in 15 minutes plus however long we keep talking. Okay? Wow. Yes. I just said that in my head, and I was an English major. That's um, So you can also get the stuff online. We're going to have MP3 downloads available soon. Um, we're very interested in getting your email addresses so we can stay in contact with you and we can let you know about future uh, events. Uh, if uh, Dick would do it, of course, we would have him back and we'd love you to come back. So uh, we would... We would uh... um, so we do want your, your email addresses. So please, on your way out someplace, uh, give your email uh, to somebody official so do we they... can... Do they have to pay to sit up there? With you. What? Up there? They, yeah. How did you get up there? Um, <laughs> are they always there? So, um, anyway. So, are we I want, so, I want to, I just want to get back to this poem. First of all, I know that oh. you've memorized a lot of poetry. And I haven't really. I remember poetry without memorizing it. Oh, I think it's the same thing. And you act- just have an easier time of it, and that annoys a lot of us. Maybe. Um, but I can't remember ever sitting down. Oh, I remember I, when I was in Shakespeare plays and stuff, I had to obviously. But I can remember a poem after a while. After a while. Yeah. Do you know Paul Revere's ride? Uh, is, is Sarah Palin involved in it? <laughs> he warned Sarah Palin, was that it? That the British were coming? No, I wa- I, no, no, no. I warned you not to bring up Sarah Palin. Um, oh, there's a piece in there about Sarah Palin in which I say she seems to have no first language. That's, that's right. Um, terrible, terrible. Um, where were we? Yes, poetry. Poetry. Paul Revere's Ride, Longfellow. Um, yeah, I like that poem. Um, but, uh, no, th- what you said, because you uh, unwittingly, uh, in, in quoting those three lines... Uh, you, you really brought up the question that I wanted to ask. I mean, there's something about fame. One of the downsides of fame, which we didn't touch on until you did through mm-hmm. Frost, is the idea that it's something that's fleeting. And that, uh, have, have you ever felt or have you ever been around people who th- they've had fame and that they, they want to cling to it? There, there can be a desperation because it's, it can be so wonderful and that you'll do anything to cling to it. And surely you've seen people... Come and go. Yes. It's an amazing You, you thing. may be unconsciously alluding, not referring, to a piece in there about Walter Winchell, a name that some will remember. And I met him late in his life. Walter Winchell, like the character in Sweet Smell of Success, was a tyrannical columnist who ruled the show business world and made a play and broke a play and made people and broke them. 
And by, by the way, the time, I did read that piece, but I wasn't alluding to it. No, you were. But I have to say that is another one of the. That's a spectacular, yeah. uh, spectacular little little essay, and another reason to recommend the book. But please. Uh, well, I, I won't tell it all. It's just that I, I met him late in his life, and he was clinging to fame desperately, and yet he had none left really to cling to. What year was this? Roughly? This would have been uh, while the I 60s. was on the ABC show. I had him on uh, and he danced. Walter um, Winchell. He, he had been a dancer. Yeah. He carried a 38 in his cummerbund. <laughs> Took me to the Copacabana where we saw Tony Martin bibulously sing for about an hour. And then we rode in his car, and he had a police radio. But nobody knew who he was anymore. And we went to a station house. He'd followed police radio, followed police calls for decades. And we got in the station house. And, hey, fellas. And they said, who the old fart? And then somebody said, hey, mister, talk again, say something. What do you want me to say? Wait a minute. Oh, oh, oh. Pointing to this wilting old man. The untouchables. You had a voice on the untouchables. That's who you are. And he signed an autograph that was not requested. I was hoping we could end on a bummer. So thank you. I prayed. I prayed and God answered my prayer, so thank you. That's exciting. Do you want a Groucho? Oh, wait a minute. Yes. Do you want a, a quick Groucho that you may never have heard before? Few have, but I might have told it to you. Yeah. There are a million, of course. But Groucho was in a restaurant in Beverly Hills with his producer, and a man came over with his wife. And this was not long after Groucho had told me, you know, I can't insult anybody anymore. You know, they, they think I'm kidding, and I really hate them, and they, really, um, and they just say, oh, Groucho said this, and Groucho, oh, that's Groucho. And the um, man came over with his wife, and the man said, say something insulting to my wife. And Groucho looked and said, with a wife like that, you should be able to think of your own insults. Right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, how about a warm Socrates in the City hand for Dick Cavett? Oh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to set up a table here. Get your books quickly, and we'll have a line, and uh, Dick will come back out and sign the books. Thanks for coming. God bless you.